The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. So we have spent two weeks right now studying the primacy of God's glory. And the study has provided perspective into the bigger picture of the Bible, into the ultimate point of life, as well as into how God can be glorified in all circumstances. It's helped us to know God more fully by being able to see his unrelenting focus on his own glory. We've had a chance to reflect upon the condition of our own heart, sometimes seeing selfish or sinful tendencies that have been lying right under the surface. And finally, we've seen how God's glory moves us down a path of maturity from our focus on me to me and God to God and me, and finally, just to God. There's been a lot that's been covered so far within the study, and I have been excited to hear back from different people about how God has been using the study in their life. Uh, For example, I cannot tell you how many people have come to me and said, I see God's glory everywhere right now. As I'm driving and I see the mountains, I'm reminded of the glory of God. Every time I open the Bible, it seems like it's talking about the glory of God. I've been reading my devotional book, and it's the glory of God. I'm singing my favorite worship song, and I see it's about the glory of God. Everywhere I look, I'm now reminded of God's glory. I've had other people come to me and say that they have now seen spiritual battles differently by seeing how Satan fell and by seeing how humanity fell. They're now able to see where those temptations are working into their life every single day. And I've had other people come back and say, I have a greater appreciation for the gospel and what Jesus has done for me. All of that's exciting to me as a pastor. I love it whenever people are saying, I see what God's word is saying about this topic. Well, this morning we finish out the series. And as we do, I want to give you like a one minute recap of what's been covered in each of the previous two weeks. This information is just right there in your notes. Week one was about rightful glory. The main text was Isaiah chapter six. The key idea, all rightful glory is God's alone. There were three truths that I gave about God's glory. God's glory is never diminished by circumstances. God's glory and holiness are continually declared. And God's glory reveals our true state before him. Week two was about challenged glory. In the main text were Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 12, Luke chapter 10, and Romans chapter 1. The key idea is that while all rightful glory is God's alone, that does not mean that his glory goes unchallenged. Others want what God has. So I shared three ancient ideas that lead to challenging God's glory. The first is, I want what God has. Second, I think my way is best. And third, I want to rule my own life. This morning, we finish out the series by studying reflected glory. And let me say from the very beginning, I am not talking about there's any way that you and I can add to God's glory as though God's glory is somehow deficient. As we've shared on each of the previous two weeks, God's glory meter never drops below 100%. This message is not about us generating glory in ourselves and somehow adding it to what God already has. This message is about us embracing God's design so that his glory is more clearly and more fully seen and reflected in us. As Christians, we're to live in such a way that the infinite beauty and the greatness of God's many perfections 
are seen in us. The question is how? How does that happen? If you're like me, when you hear somebody say, we're to live in such a way that God's infinite beauty and the greatness of his many perfections are seen and reflected in us, you might feel a little overwhelmed by that. I know I am. I mean, my first thought on that is, what if I mess up and mess up bad? How does that reflect upon God? Here's another question that I just have to process through, and that is, how do we take something as big as reflecting the glory of the eternal God and bring it into something that we can practically live out every single day? For example, right now, I've got a tree stump in my truck outside. I dug that thing up over this last week. How does any of that mundane activity reflect the glory of God? Today is Mother's Day. If you're a mom with some little tiny kids, a lot of your day is spent changing diapers and wiping little fannies and keeping tiny people from sticking stuff in electrical outlets. How does any of that reflect the glory of God? Another way of thinking about this would be, what does it look like to reflect God's glory as a parent or as a grandparent, as a brother or sister? as a husband or a wife, as a student or a boss, as an employee or as a volunteer? How can you and I step into our created design by living each day in such a way that God's infinite beauty and the greatness of God's many perfections are reflected in us? Let's find out today from Scripture. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 18. If you don't have a Bible, the primary text will be on the screen behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of reflected glory. Let's read the text, have prayer, and move into this. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we dig into this text and what's taking place around it, God, help us to clearly, clearly, clearly see what it looks like to reflect your glory. Not to walk away with a bunch of guilt, not to walk away with a huge burden placed upon us, but to see the beauty and the freedom that comes by being in right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The word glory is actually found 13 times in chapter 3 alone. It's a chapter where the Apostle Paul is helping describe the Old Covenant law and the New Covenant of grace and how those two differ dramatically. In fact, he says that the, the letter of the law kills, and yet the Spirit gives life. The law binds us up. The Spirit sets us free. The law leads to ritual. The Spirit leads to relationship. Now, that is not to say that the law is bad. In fact, the law is good, and the law has a very clear purpose. That is, the law was intended to show God's perfection, to show our sin, and to show us our desperate need for Christ as our Savior. The law was intended to be our tutor, to be our instructor that would lead us to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. 
So while discussing the differences between Old Covenant and New Covenant, the Apostle Paul brings up this topic of glory and how the glory of God is reflected differently under each of those two covenants. So if you have your Bibles open, or also this is going to be on the screen, I want you to see where this conversation begins back up in verses 7 and 8. It says, But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones come with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not intently look at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Now, there's two ideas that are being presented in this text. And I know the Apostle Paul has a way of just continuing to drop a comma into his writings so that there's this massive thought that's expressed over multiple verses. But here's the first thought, big thought, that is being expressed here. That is, the law of God also reflected the glory of God. You can see that in the law. Why? Because the law itself showed God's infinite beauty and God's many perfections. When you look into the law, you can see the righteousness and the holiness and the perfection of who God is. It's clearly seen in the law. So, if God's law came with God's glory to Moses, how much more will God's grace come with God's glory through Jesus? That's what he's presenting in those two verses. Here's the second main idea that is being mentioned. Moses reflected God's glory differently under the law. Now, this passage is actually a reference back to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments that were engraved into tablets of stone that are considered to be the foundation of the law itself. When he came back down from the mountain, if you'll remember, his face was glowing. His face was shining. He had been in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God was literally glowing, radiating, reflecting off of his face. To the point, it scared the people. When the people got scared, we find that he goes through and he put a veil over his face when he talked to the people. And according to Exodus 34, he took the veil back off when he entered into the presence of God. That's the reference that's happening here. So now look back and see what it says in verse 7. It describes God's glory coming with engraved stones so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face. It's a reference to Exodus chapter 34. The reason that's important is because this word veil, it keeps popping up through the rest of the chapter. And in fact, it is a centerpiece in what's happening in verse number 18. So track along with me in this. In verse number 13, Paul says, we're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Here's what happened. As he came out of the presence of God, the longer he was out, the more that glory began to fade away. But whenever he just came out, it scared the people to death. He he had to put a veil over his face. And what Paul is saying is, we're not like Moses in that. Go on with me in verse 14. For those who have hardened unbelieving minds, the same veil remains unlifted. Verse 15. When people attempt to live by the law, a veil lies over their hearts. 
Verse 16, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is now taken away. Now look at what it says in verse 18. Speaking of believers, but we all, speaking of believers, with unveiled face, the veil has come off, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So here's what it's saying. When a sinner turns to God by placing faith in Jesus Christ, the veil of confusion is removed, and now they can clearly see the glory of God as reflected in the face of Jesus. Now, this is, this is huge, that last part. Clearly see the glory of God as reflected in the face of Jesus. What does that mean? Once again, notice the parallels between Moses and Jesus here. When Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, his face reflected the glory of God. When Jesus met with God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration, according to Matthew 17 too, his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. Two men representing two covenants at two definitive moments in each of their lives. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is beautiful. If you'll remember, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the mountain. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Both appeared with Jesus on the mountain. And as they did, listen to this, it was only Jesus who was transfigured. It was only Jesus' face that shone. It was only Jesus' garments that were made white. It was only Jesus who received the Father's commendation. And after that moment, it's only Jesus who remained. And that is, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, and he is the full radiance of God's glory. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So when you and I look upon Jesus, when we look upon the face of Jesus, we are seeing the full radiance of God's glory. Paul is teaching us that when the veil that obscured God's glory under the Old Testament has been removed, it was removed by Christ in this new covenant. Under the old covenant, only Moses could enter the presence of God. Under the new covenant, all believers can boldly enter the presence of God. Under the old covenant, only one person could behold God's glory. Under the new covenant, we all can behold God's glory. It says in verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We behold God's glory as if looking in a mirror. Let's pause here. Practically speaking, when you and I look in a mirror, we see our reflection. Spiritually speaking, when you and I look in a mirror, we are to see Christ's reflection. It says, all of us with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Why is it that we're supposed to see his reflection in that mirror? Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
So we are being transformed, regularly transformed into the same image. Now, what image is that? It's the image of Christ based on what we find in these texts. Now, here's what this means. We're being transformed to look more and more like Jesus. And Jesus is the full radiance of God's glory. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. That is not an outward appearance that we're being made to look like him, but it is an inward character thing that we are being made to look like him. Our character is being transformed into the character of Christ. Here's why that is extremely important on a practical level for every single believer. Okay, being a Christian is not about me becoming a better me. It's not about you becoming a better you. It is about us becoming like Christ. That's, that's what the whole thing is about here. It's not about the fact that he's polishing up the old creature and he's making us look a little bit shinier with all of our dents and wrinkles and problems. It is that we have now been made into a new creation in Christ so that when we behold in the mirror, we're looking at what is the reflection of Christ. This same concept here is strong to me. It says we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That phrase is in the present tense. It's better translated, we are being transformed. It's sanctification. It is a process. That's good news for us because if you're like me and one day you feel like, man, I was knocking it out of the park as a Christian. I mean, my attitude was right. That person wronged me and I responded the right way. I got all my work done. God is really excited for me today. And then the next day you come out and you blow everything and you're like, man, I thought I was making progress. Listen, it is a process. God uses all of the little pieces to refine us and to build us so that we look like Christ. So the issue here is it is a process. That's great. Here's the second thing that's exciting to me in this this section. That same phrase is in the passive voice. That means we are being acted upon. This is so big for everyone who has tried to live up to some standard of God's law and they keep falling short and falling short and falling short and they're like, why can't I do it? It's because true sanctification is where God is doing the work in us. It's the passive voice. That means it's not you and I transforming ourselves. It is you and I being acted upon and being transformed by God through his spirit. That is, he is the one doing the work in you by transforming you from glory to glory. That's great news. That's why Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that he's fully convinced that he who began a good work in you will complete it. It's not you and I doing it for God. It's God doing this work through us. So now we've got the pieces in place. Now we understand a little bit more of what it looks like to more fully reflect God's glory. Here's what I want us to do as we close this section. I want us to bring the information from the last two weeks and add it to what we've seen this morning. And I want us to come out on the other side of this and say, that's what it looks like to practically reflect the glory of God in daily life. So here's what we've covered. We were created in God's image 
and we were created for God's glory. However, due to our sin and our rebellion, his image was marred and his glory was distorted. That is, the image of God was not lost and his glory is not gone, but because of our sin, it makes it harder for others to see his image and his glory clearly reflected in us. Now, to show us how deep our sin goes and how wide the separation is between us and God, God gave us his law. In this law, it shows how high and how exalted and how holy and how perfect and how distinct God is. We see God's infinite beauty and God's many perfections on display within the law of God. But God's law also shows that our sin was not confined to one act. It was not confined to one moment of lapsed judgment. When you see the fullness of the law, you begin to see the depravity of humanity is deep. That is, our desires for self are overwhelmed by in our decisions and overwhelmed in our hearts and overwhelmed in our minds and overwhelmed in our actions. Even the things we think we're doing right, many times we go back and find out we're doing them for the wrong motives and doing them out of the wrong power and ability. It shows how depraved humanity really is. And that is exactly what the law was intended to do, to show God in his many perfections and to show us the reality of where we stand before the holiness of God. So here's the thing. God did not need to give the law to find out what was in us. He knew we needed the law to find out how bad it was. Why? Because pride in self always comes out and says, I can do better tomorrow. You give me one more shot, I figured this thing out. Ah, now I, oh, that's what I was supposed to do. Starting tomorrow, I've got that taken care of. Humanity keeps doing that. So what did God do? He allowed us thousands of years to find out we couldn't do it. And, and you begin to see person after person after person after person. And even in the best intentions, we still fall short of God's holy and perfect standard. We see that the sin was too deep. We see that the separation was too wide. We see that God's standard was too high. And once we see that, now there is hopelessness. Now there is brokenness. Now there is desperation. And we get to that moment and all of a sudden the good news of Jesus Christ comes. And we're like... I need that. Okay, that's what the law was intended to do. Show how holy he is, how sinful we are. It was designed to bring us to the end of ourselves and to point to Christ for our salvation. I've said it before. We'll never understand how good the good news is until we first understand how bad the bad news was. How bad was it? Totally depraved. Totally desperate. Total inability to live up to God's standard. So, this same creator God, who made us in his image, made us for his glory, made us to enjoy intimate relationship with him, made us so that we would faithfully serve him. That same creator God clothed himself in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Perfectly fulfilled the law of God, sacrificially died a sinner's death, victoriously rose again on the third day, 
and now offers the best news that you and I could ever hear. Our sin debt has been paid in full, and we can be reconciled with our Creator. That's the beauty of the story. Now, Jesus' offer of a reconciled relationship is to those who turn from their sin by placing faith in what Jesus has done. When a person responds in faith, the veil of confusion is now removed. The Spirit of God immediately indwells them, and the Spirit of God begins the work of sanctification, transforming them into the image of Christ, into the, here it is, the full radiance of God's glory. Now personalize that for yourself. If you're a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. Christianity is not about God polishing up the old you. It is about God making a brand new you. So when you and I now look in the mirror, we are no longer defined by all the failures and the problems and the dysfunction of our past. Our identity is found solely in the sacrifice of our Savior. Now somebody might say, Paul, that's good news. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I want to live every day of my life reflecting the glory of God. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to do it tomorrow. As good as that sounds, it's still wrong. You and I did not have the ability to save ourselves. And you and I do not have the ability to sanctify ourselves. Listen to this quote as far as on where we're to focus our time. This is a a quote that comes from a guy by the name of Norman Dowdy. He writes, If I am to be like him, then God in his grace must do it. And the sooner I come to recognize that, the sooner I am delivered from another form of bondage. Throw down every endeavor and say, I cannot do it. The more I try, the farther I get from his likeness. What shall I do? Ah, the Holy Spirit says, you cannot do it. Just withdraw. Come out of it. Come out and sit down. And as you sit there, listen, behold Him. Look at Him. Don't try to be like Him. Just look at Him. Instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, let Him fill it. Just behold Him. Look upon Him through His Word. Come to the Word for one purpose, and that is to meet with the Lord. Not so that your mind is crammed full of things from the Holy Word, but come to it to meet with the Lord. Make it to be a medium, not of biblical scholarship, but of fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. What a quote. It's literally encapsulating what we're reading about here in verse number 18. When it tells us in verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So how can we behold Jesus and look deeply upon him? Through the word. The mirror is a symbol that is used of the word of God in James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. God's word reveals God's heart To know Him, 
to deeply look upon him requires that we know him through the word. That is, as we study the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, as we get do, do that so that we could know him, the Holy Spirit uses the inspired word to transform us into the image of the one that we see. We go from glory to glory. So here's how we close out. Here are three practical ways of aligning your life with the Spirit's work so that God's glory is more fully reflected in everything we do. Number one, behold the Lord daily in the mirror of God's Word. I was taught years ago, don't stray too far from the Gospels. Read all of the Bible. Study all of the Bible. But give an inordinate amount of focus and attention on the Gospels. Because it's in the Gospels that the life, the teachings, the ministry of Jesus are most clearly presented to you and I. There's an old song that goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory. In light of his glory and grace. Do you know the opposite of that is also true? When our eyes are not turned on Jesus, the things of this world become strangely attractive to us. Here's the second practical thing we can do to align ourselves with what the Spirit is doing. Trust the Spirit fully to complete what He started. Trust the Spirit fully to complete what He started. It's not about you and I living for God. It's about God living his life through us. And as the Spirit of God leads your life, he will lead you into deeper levels of the spiritual disciplines. He will lead you into deeper levels of service. He will lead you into deeper levels of fellowship. It is not that whenever the Spirit of God is doing a work in you, that you and I just sit on the sidelines and like, all right, let's let God do his work this morning. When he's leading you, here's what he'll do. He'll lead you back into the word. He'll lead you back into prayer. He'll lead you to address things in your life that are not in alignment with what he has created us to be. And as he brings those up, there is action that comes on our side. But listen to this. It's not that we do nothing. It is that we act under his direction and we act through his power. That is how it's different. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Here's the third piece. Do everything with God's glory in mind. Do everything with God's glory in mind. Paul, do do you really mean everything? Listen to what scripture says. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It just kind of gave good works. Those are our actions. It's saying we're to live so that our actions, our lives, our good works bring focus back to God. When people see what we're doing, they should say, God is amazing. God is glorious. God is incredible. It's not that we do these things because it makes us feel good. It's not that we do these things because it's good discipline. It's not that we do these things because there's a need. It is in our mind. It's saying that we're to do these things so that others would see your good works and the focus doesn't come back to you. It goes back to God. It's about him. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 10.31. 
Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, that means let your work be to the glory of God. Let your leadership in the home be to the glory of God. Let it be that your habits, your workouts, your personal disciplines are to the glory of God. That means when you change dirty diapers, you can change them for the glory of God. That, that means whenever you are loving your kids well, you can love them for the glory of God. That means you can scrub floors and you can do it for the glory of God. You can dig up tree stumps and you can do it for the glory of God. Because it's not only about what you do, it's about the attitude in which you do those things. So think about the heart, the character, the motivation behind the activities. When we act selflessly. Every mom in this room knows what it's like to act selflessly. When we respond with patience, everyone in this room needs to know what it's like to respond with patience. When we love deeply, when we do a job with excellence, when we speak with passion, when we express through creativity, when we live out generosity, when we respond in grace, when we walk in wisdom, it's all a reflection of our creator. It, it literally, when you have joy in the midst of trials, when you have peace in the midst of pain, whenever you have someone who wrongs you and you respond in forgiveness and grace, it is a reflection of your creator. See, the issue here is it's not a focus on what you do. It's about whom you reflect. Are you reflecting God in that moment by your actions, by your attitude, by your motivation, so that when it's done, people are saying, I don't know anything about, about them, but man, they got a great God. Because I knew them before they got saved. I, I knew them a year ago. They didn't act like this a year ago. I knew them at this point in their life. That's, that's what it's supposed to do so that people see God's many perfections through us. Here's how we align it. Bring it all together. When we behold the Lord daily in the mirror of his word, when we trust the spirit fully to complete what he started, when we do everything but the glory of God in mind, we can rest in the truth that others will see his image. Others will see his glory. It doesn't mean we do nothing. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that over time, God is transforming us into the image of Christ, and Jesus is the full radiance of God's glory. It's a beautiful story in Scripture. When we get the story, we also get another piece, and that is there's a higher purpose for why I live. There's a bigger point behind why I do what I do. It's all for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see in the mundane activities, in the areas in which we think what I'm doing is not important. And yet, a lot of times, it's in the attitude in which we do those things that it best reflects your glory in that moment.
God, I, I pray that there would be a, a, an awakened awareness of how deep your glory goes in every aspect of our life. We just, don't just dial it in and not think about these things, but we live a contemplative life, a life in which we're asking ourselves questions like, how am I reflecting God's glory well in the home? How am I reflecting God's glory well at work? How am I reflecting God's glory well in how I live? How are my attitudes right now reflecting his glory? And God, as we ask questions like that, we thank you for the fact your spirit calmly and graciously guides us into all truth and is transforming us from glory to glory. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.